morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, September 16th. It's a gorgeous day here in the East Coast of the United States. As you know, or as some of you know, I'm a sales coach and trainer. I work with both individuals and organizations to help them get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network as a place where salespeople can come and hang out, network with each other, ask questions, get help. And every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we do either a live interview or a training session. And uh, today we have we are supposed to have Paul Ross, the author of Subtle Words That Sell, uh, excellent book, read it myself. Paul's a fascinating guy, other than the fact that he's not here for the interview. So uh, if you're watching us live, and we'll see how long this, uh, this actually lasts, because if Paul doesn't show up, I got nothing for you other than uh, to take your questions. Um, if you're watching this live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us on Facebook and you have not connected your Facebook account to StreamYard, if you say hello, I'm not going to know who you are. It just says Facebook user. So if you're on Facebook, please put your name in when you say hello. Good morning, Joe Pontius. It's good to see you, my friend. I miss working with you guys. Um, and uh, while we'll, well, we'll, we'll give Paul a minute or two to show up. Hopefully he will. But if not, then uh, this may be short. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching us live and you have any questions that I can help you with, sales-related, sales management questions, prospecting, selling, anything like that, pipeline management, uh, please put them into the comments now. Otherwise, this is going to be a very short interview because I'm not uh, very good at interviewing myself. Jeff, what do you think about selling? I think it's a noble profession. That's going to be a waste of uh, 60 of your minutes. So uh, good morning, Chris Williamson, one of my favorite uh, sales experts and a comedian of the highest quality. Uh, Gabby is here. Great. Uh, one of my, uh, you know, I, I know so many terrific people. If you need a closet in your house, this woman is incredible. Gabby, uh, she's just phenomenal. Uh, in fact, uh, let, let's talk about this while hopefully Paul is trying to connect. Um, what, one of the cool things that about sales is you get to meet so many great people and you, you should be well networked. Uh, with amazing people who can not only help you, but help your clients and prospects. And one of my favorite things to do is to connect people, my clients, my prospects, with people who can actually help them. Um, that doesn't necessarily do anything for me to put money in my pocket, but I find that givers do get. And when you hook up two people who can help each other, then you still look like the good person for making that connection. And one way or the other, whether it results in business or money from one of them, I do find what goes around comes around. So by constantly hooking people up with the right people, that's a great thing. Good morning to you, Ray Aurora. Um, all right. I'm not sure if uh, Paul's going to show. So unless you guys have some questions, good morning, Facebook user uh, who just uh, entered, said hello. If you said good morning, Jeff, good morning to you too. I'm not sure who you are, but good morning to you too. Uh, so let me just share this with you. Uh, I arrange these months and months in advance. I send Outlook invites and the week of the interview, I get in touch with people. I tell them what they need to do. I give them the link to this and I ask them to please come on 10 minutes early that I'll be waiting for them here on StreamYard at 9.50 uh, for a 10 o'clock start because uh, I believe in the airport theory of time management, which means, oh, Paul's coming in, good news, uh, that you, if you're a minute late, that you've missed the plane. But luckily, uh, this gentleman did not miss the plane. Uh, Gabby says she'd like to see the book cover again. Let me bring Paul in and then I'll show you the book cover, Gabby. And uh, Chris Williams says, says, hopefully I could interview the beach pug, which uh, he's kind of, uh, 
He's kind of a quiet guy, so I don't know that I would be interviewing the beach bug. But Gabby, here's the book that I was talking about, Subtle Words That Sell. And you can now see on the screen, Paul Ross. Paul, I was a little afraid that you weren't going to show. Yeah. I'm so happy to yeah. see you here, my friend. Uh, no, welcome to the Sales Phone Network. My apologies. I'm having connectivity issues and I got a new router and I'm still having connectivity issues. But thank goodness we've got it working. Hi, Jeff. Good to see you, my friend. It's a pleasure. And I'm very excited to be speaking to you today. Uh, I've been having computer issues for a week myself, and I know the frustration that that brings. I've had two different IT guys working on it, and so far nobody's able to fix it. But you're here, and I'm glad, Paul. Um, I just let me get this on. One thing, I'm so sorry. Let me get this on Do Not Disturb, because now that I got it on, I got it. All right, we're on Do Not Disturb. You good to go? I'm good. All right, so uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? I know you used to be a dating coach, and then you became a master sales trainer. Could you give everybody the two-minute version of what brought you up to this point? Sure. So I am a former dating, I'm just going to say it, pickup coach. I used to teach men how to get women, how to meet them, how to pick them up, how to charm and romance them. If you want to put that, I'm giving you the uh, rated G version of uh, what used to go on in my career. My background is I'm a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming. I don't know if you're familiar with NLP or not. And I'm also a master hypnotist. And so through the work I did with teaching men to be successful women, I began to get a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls from guys saying, thank you very much. I met my wife. Here's pictures of my kids. And I've been using your stuff for sales. I thought, this is back about 15 years ago. I thought, hey, genius, this essentially would work for sales. You've been using it without even knowing it in your online sales. I've sold millions of dollars worth of courses. And um, so I thought, hey, let's go back into my language lab and figure out how this all works. And I began to teach people from different backgrounds in sales. I now primarily only work with people who are already really successful because my methodology requires someone who's smart and driven to really leapfrog over the path and uh, just crush their competition. I like people who are really competitive. I'll work with non-competitive people, but I'm really seeking people who are seeking the edge. Got it. And uh, I don't want to take the whole interview for this, but as you know, when I first met you, I was fascinated by your past. And you mentioned that uh, there was a movie that was created that uh, Tom Cruise starred in that was actually based on you and your dating coaching uh, philosophy. Can you speak yeah, a little bit about that? I, I forgot the name, but uh, could you remind me? Magnolia is the movie, and Tom played uh, Tom Cruise played a rather crazed version of my Ross Jeffries uh, character. That was the name I went by when I I did that character. I never saw any money from it, never met Tom, but it was great publicity. And I got a date with my intellectual property attorney. He would not go out with me. I said, Janine, this is business. This is business because they could be infringing on my trademarks and copyrights. So you got to go out with me. But didn't go anywhere. She kept it professional. <laughs> Love that. So um, let's, let's jump into it. You say that language is magic. What do you mean yeah. by that? Well, language structures consciousness, shapes decisions, drives behavior. Let's talk about that for a minute. Even subtle words, the name of my book is Subtle Words Itself. Thank you very much for letting me plug. La, 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 la. What's the difference between saying to a prospect, please ask your questions and please share your questions? So if I said to, to a prospect, before we explore this XYZ together, 
I just want to invite you to please share the questions that naturally arise when a great decision is going to be made. What's the difference between ask and share? Ask is something I do to you, or ask is I'm asking for something from you. Share is an activity we do together as people already have some degree of relationship. So words make a difference. Words are powerful. Yeah. And, and that goes with my feeling that sales is mostly psychology. And I'm with you. I believe I've, I can't tell you how many times I've said that uh, word choices absolutely matter. And one single word can be the difference between closing a sale and not closing a sale. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, in networking, which I do a, a decent amount of, and I get a fair amount of business from networking, uh, probably 40 to 45% of my business comes from ne a networking group that I belong to. But in networking, we talk about that you need to be known, liked, and trusted. And in sales, we talk about people buying from people that both like you and trust you, but you call that BS. Why, why, why is that? You know, it's a, well, I would say it's incomplete. Yes, no like and trust is necessary, but I, I would say two things. First of all, you know what's better than no like and trust? This is going to be very controversial. Compliance. Ultimately, we want people to know, like, and trust us so they will comply with us. Whether that compliance means allowing us to lead them from the beginning, middle, and end of the sales process to actually signing on the dotted line. What we're looking for is compliance. That's controversial, real controversial. But the second thing is, yes, know, like, and trust is important. But nowadays, you have to get the prospect to trust themselves. Prospects don't trust that they can make a good decision. You have to get them to trust their own ability to make a good decision. Now, Jeff, they don't trust their own ability for a couple of reasons, and for good reasons. First and foremost, this thing. This thing is a source of constant distraction. It's reduced our attention span to that of a goldfish. And so your prospects are under constant distraction. They're overstimulated. We've got Facebook Instant Messenger. We've got TikTok, Telegram. Instagram, when I, uh, YouTube, I remember when YouTube, the ads were two minutes long. Now you can click off in five seconds. So they're overstimulated. They're, they have too many options. Their focus is diminished tremendously. And then they've been burned. They've been burned. You remember the real estate crash of 2008, which by the way, I believe we're heading for another one with interest rates going up and mortgage rates becoming so high is people have to make a choice. Do they pay their mortgage or do they buy groceries? We're, this is my own opinion. I'm not a real estate or investment maven. I'm not giving advice. I, this is a, kind of generally. So people have good reason not to trust things, not to trust institutions. I, I'm not going to discuss politics here. But if you ask people, do you trust the political parties running the country? Do you trust what the media is telling you? I think it's a safe bet to say, majority of people would say no. Do you agree? A hundred percent, of course. 100%. So trust in institutions, trust in themselves is, is plummeting like a lead falcon. So we've got to get our prospects to trust themselves. I, I like what you're saying there very much because it's my belief that uh, people are afraid of making a bad decision. Uh, you know, the way brain science works is we're wired up to think negatively when we're making a buying decision. We worry about what if it goes wrong? What if I look bad? What if I get fired? 
So, uh, you know, we have to do something to help them get past that automatic negative thinking of what if to be comfortable with making a positive decision to do business with us. Yes. Correct. Correct. And okay. I don't feel pardon how normally uh, we're very early here in California. Normally the sun is up and shining. So we're a little dark here. And my uh, see, we we see you just fine. All right. Uh, so, so what is subtle selling? Uh, you know, uh, I, I've been in sales 48 years and, you know, it, 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 long, long ago, it was like you to pound people in the face. You, you use all kinds of tactics and techniques, but that doesn't seem to be what you're talking about here. What, what, what is I'm subtle talking, selling? I'm talking about appealing to the prospect's subconscious mind so they convince themselves to buy. The, the sub, you read the title of my book because I don't want to appear to be overplugging it. But if you read the whole title, it's not just subtle words itself. Can you see the subtitle? how to get your prospects to convince themselves to buy and add top dollars to your bottom line. So I say what you really need to do is to use subtle subconscious communication to capture and lead your prospects imagination. So they believe they're making their own decision. Here's a key. Whatever you can get your prospect to imagine for themselves will be perceived by them as being their own idea and therefore they will not resist it. Does that make sense? Yeah, what, can you say that one more time so that everybody gets it? Because that's an important point. Yes, whatever you can get your prospects to imagine for themselves will be perceived by them as being their own idea, and therefore they will not resist it. Ladies, you know this with your significant other, uh, if it happens to, if that other happens to be a man. You can't argue a man into anything, but if you drop the hints a month later, he'll come back and say, hey, I've got a great idea, when it was your idea all along. So this is not limited to sales. It works through all effective human communication. So, so you and I agree, uh, I think, that we don't talk people into things. We're, we're not there really to convince or persuade to talk people into things. That our job is to get people to choose to buy from us. So how do you get prospects to convince themselves to buy? All right. This is where it gets back. I, can I curse a little bit on your show? I don't want to do anything do you want. <laughs> All right. Here's where it gets batshit crazy. I believe that selling is about creating states of consciousness. Yes, it's about getting ideas and presenting what your proposition is. But first, it's about states of consciousness. Let me use a metaphor, if I might. Let's say we want to conduct a current of electricity. I have a sheet of gold foil and a sheet of cardboard. Which one of those two mediums is going to conduct the electricity? And it's not a trick question, Jeff. No, it's obviously not the cardboard. It's going to be the aluminum. The gold foil is what gold I said. Foil, yeah. 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 All right. So consider your prospect's state of mind, your state of consciousness to be the conductive medium and the words, your pitch, your presentation, whatever it is, the facts, figures, data, information, what you put on a graph or a prospectus to be the current, the electricity. Do you want them in those cardboard states of not trusting themselves, of being distracted, unable to focus, cynicism, feeling bad about themselves, whatever it is? Do you want them in those states? Or do we want to create states of fascination, states of focus, states of not just trusting us, but of wanting to eagerly follow our lead? That goes beyond rapport. Rapport is only a side note to a side note. Rapport is only important if it creates responsiveness. If it's not creative responsiveness, it's useless. 
So how do, that's the first thing. And the second thing is I believe sales is not just about getting our ideas into our prospects' minds. It's about expanding their mind to include our ideas. Because oftentimes prospects don't believe they deserve what it is you're selling. It's not that they don't want it. They may not think they deserve it. They may not think it, it will work for them. So you've got to expand their consciousness to include new possibilities about how they think about themselves, their sense of what they're capable of, what they believe is possible for themselves and what they deserve. So this is a completely different way of looking at sales. Now, I'm not saying abandon your current methodology of selling if it's not work, if it's working. But if you add in these ways of thinking and some of the little tools with your permission that I'll demonstrate, then I'll strap rocket boosters to it. Uh, please do demonstrate. Otherwise, otherwise, Jeff, if you only do a little bit more of the same old system that you're doing, you're going to get incremental changes. To go from beyond incremental into exponential, you really need to do something radically different. And the other aspect I'll add into that is if you're doing what your competition is doing, then guess what? Your prospect will have heard it before unless you get to their door first whether that's electronically or door-to-door -door or however it is, it becomes a foot race. And foot races are exhausting. That's a long answer. I talk a lot. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a podcast, I'm a podcast host, so I know I want guests who are going to talk and not have make me talk. So uh, uh, I know this is what you're looking for. Absolutely, 100%. Why don't you tell us the name of your podcast in case anybody would like to listen oh, to it? It's called The Influencer's Edge. And we've already got some huge names to appear on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with NLP, neurolinguistic programming. My next question, but yes, I I, I have so, some slight knowledge, but I, we're going to go into that in a second. We had the founder of NLP, Richard Bandler, who's the co-creator of the whole thing on the show. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I first heard of NLP through my fascination with Tony Robbins. So uh, I, I think everybody's heard of NLP, and I know it stands for neurolinguistic programming. And... Uh, I've actually got this sitting on my desk to to read it. I haven't read it yet. Who wrote that? What? Sorry. Who wrote that one? Uh, Tom Hubiar and Tom Dots with Susan Sanders. Don't know, but it's a huge community. Why don't you, uh, if you would, why don't you explain what neurolinguistic programming is? Oh, what it wow. is That's a, you know, there's an old joke. I can tell this joke because I'm Jewish. If you ask two rabbis a question, you get 50 opinions. What is NLP? In my opinion, it's, first of all, a, a way of looking at how beliefs and language structure our thinking and our behavior. It's a modeling technology. It's a way of looking at people who do something well, extracting out the nature of that talent, and then duplicating it for yourself. To that, was a, that was actually my understanding because uh, yeah. I heard Tony Robbins said, look, if, if you if somebody's being successful at what you want to do, if you do the same things, you should get the same result. Not to that. Yes, but we got to be careful about the claim. I'm not saying if you learn to think like Einstein, you're going to be an Einstein. Or if you take Mozart's approach to music, you're going to be a Mozart. But you'll be much better than you were, and you'll take on some aspect of their talent. Now, out of that modeling technology distills a lot of techniques. Bandler and Grinder, the co-founders of NLP, along with Robert Dilch, Judith Lozier, and a couple other people, doesn't really matter. 
They, one of the people they studied who I think had the most impact on NLP was Milton H. Erickson, the founder of modern hypnotherapy. Erickson was to hypnosis what Einstein was to physics. This is my opinion. And he taught a very conversational style of hypnosis. It wasn't go to sleep and all the rest of it. So he taught covert suggestion. And a lot of NLP are the techniques that distill out of modeling Milton if that makes sense. So that's what we've applied, I've applied in selling, and there's some other NLP aspects. We could talk about NLP for hours and confuse people. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So, but, so how, how uh, we don't have hours, we have 40 minutes, but uh, so how, how does NLP and hypnosis, how, how do those apply to selling? I, I mean, uh, I've often jokingly said, you know, if I could hypnotize people to buy, that'd be a great thing, but- uh, uh, well. Well, let's define hypnosis. It, I prefer suggestion and trance to hypnosis. Let's, let's think about this. I certainly wouldn't say to a prospect, Mr. Prospect, in a moment, you're going to become fascinated with me. And the more fascinated you become, you're going to become more and more excited about buying what it is I'm presenting to you today. I, they would laugh in my face and maybe even give me a kick uh, where I don't want to be kicked. But if I said, before we begin this exploration together today of this opportunity, I'm not sure at which point you might pause and find yourself growing more and more focused in on what it is I have to say. But as that's taking place, feel free to share any of the questions that naturally arise when a great decision is being made. I'm essentially doing the same thing. But now what I just said, you probably in a, in a minute won't even be able to remember it because it's so deliberately vague. Notice what I said. I said, I don't know at which points you might stop. Now, when I say, I don't know at which points, what does that imply? It implies there's going to be more than one point. It implies it's going to happen. I don't know at which points you might stop and find yourself focusing in. Find yourself focusing in. What does it mean to find yourself doing something, Jeff? It means you didn't consciously do it. It means it's just going to occur. So this is one small example of using this kind of language in the very beginning of the conversation. Now, I did something else at the end there. I said, a great decision's being made. That's deliberately vague. One of the ways you can be hypnotic is to be vague. There's times to be vague in a sale and times to be specific. There's times to make the message clear, but there's times to not make the message clear, to be vague, even confusing. When I say a great decision is being made, I didn't say a great decision to list with me or a great decision to buy this product. I didn't say that. I said a great decision is being made. I'm deliberately vague, which causes the unconscious mind to make a search and go, hmm, I wonder what that means. And then at the end of a chain of suggestions that they're going to trust you and get very focused, the unconscious mind will interpret that as being, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy from him today without you saying it directly. That's a big mouthful. We could spend half an hour analyzing just that one example, but you get the gist of, of what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, so we're, <clears throat> we're purposely being vague so that they can focus in uh, on, I don't know what that means, but I should listen more. I want to hear more about what this guy has to say. Exactly. OK. 
Exactly. And it's a command to focus in. It's a command to become focused. Got it. And it sounds like you're also implanting great decision to be made or great decision is going to be made. You're saying, I don't care which way, but one way or another, you're going to make a decision. You're going to make a decision to buy, not to buy, to wait. And by saying a great decision, it's implying that they can trust their ability to make a great decision, which is handling that problem that we covered about 13 minutes ago. So you're not saying there's a huge decision to make. You're saying one way or the other, you're going to make a great decision. So you're, you're kind of giving them the confidence that, that they may not have. True, Jeff, but the implication is the great decision is they're going to buy because we've established that they're going to focus in and get excited. Got it. I like that. Um, what, one of the things I do in preparing for these interviews, I go to people's LinkedIn feeds uh, and I, I look at the articles they've written. Uh, I came across a, uh, a word that I have to ask you about. What is masturbation? <laughs> I was tickled by it. This is not original with me. This is from the work of uh, Albert Ellis, who was the founder of Rational Motive Behavior Therapy. And masturbation is when you try to motivate yourself by saying, I must go to the gym. I must make more of my cold calls today. Which, by the way, I personally hate that term, cold calls. It implies that the person on the other end is going to be cold to you. I don't like that. I must not, it also applies to not, I must not be so nervous when I present in front of prospects. I must be more disciplined. The I problem is I must lose weight. This doesn't give your brain any instructions or directions. It's just a subtle form of beating on yourself or a not so form of beating on yourself. So instead of masturbating, I like to tell people who use the word claim and choose. I choose to make my calls today. I joyously choose to happily make my calls today. So instead of masturbating, use words like choose. Uh, I choose, I'm choosing. And also words like claim. I claim my discipline to joyfully make my calls today. Instead of saying, I must be more disciplined or I should be more disciplined. Does that make sense? Sure. Well, one even sounds a little negative. I have to make cold calls. It's almost implied with, I have to make cold calls and I hate making cold calls. Uh, and why, whereas, why, here's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, whereas the other way you, you're saying you're, you're, you have more power. Uh, you're accepting that you're responsible and you're making a choice. And also let's look at something else. Let's look at something else. The whole idea of <clears throat> making calls Instead of making cold calls, how about extending opportunities? How many opportunities can I extend to people today to make great decisions? When you make a cold call, the implications of the person on the other end of the phone has the value. But if you say, how many opportunities can I extend today to make good decisions? Now, all of a sudden, you're not asking for anything. You're offering a gift. And when we offer a gift, the worst that can happen is someone doesn't pick it up or leaves it on the ground. And we've lost nothing. We have the gift to give to people who can appreciate it. Uh, that's an important distinction. And I, I think I've shared this more than once on, on this uh, broadcast, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, I think I told you when we first spoke that uh, I do stand-up comedy. And um, a, comedian <laughs> friend of my, a comedian friend of mine 
about three or four months ago, made a distinction for me, which really changed my perspective. And I was talking to him and telling him how much I enjoy being on the stage. And I, I love getting laughs. It's just the greatest feeling in the world when I get laughs. And he goes, stop thinking that way. Stop thinking about getting laughs and start focusing on giving laughs. And it re- I, I was actually driving in my car later the day and had a pullover because it suddenly lit up in my brain. I went, giving laughs instead of getting laughs. It's so much more generous. And now when I'm on the stage, don't get me wrong, I still love hearing people laugh, but it's like, I've given you the gift of laughter. It's a, it's a, a better relationship with the audience. I think that's a great distinction. Whoever gave you that distinction extended to you a really great gift. By the way, I happen to be a failed comedy writer, a failed stand-up comic. So it's a hard, tough, one of the toughest jobs in the world. So you pull that one off, Jeff. I, I salute you. That's it's a, And it's not a, a, an easy thing at all to do. A great comic makes it look easy. Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. And uh, there's a gentleman on right now. His name is Chris Williamson, uh, just a pro. I I love watching him every time. He just gets up there and it's effortless and just so flipping funny. Uh, We could could talk about that for hours and I don't want to bore the audience. There's something else you said. You know, I love phrases. You say the dough is in the nose. So so what does that mean? How how does one crush objections? And also, what is the neutral state? I'm fascinated by some of the, the, the word choices you use. So yeah, nice. know, how do you crush objections and what's the neutral state? Yeah. So this whole thing of crushing objections is a hypnotic technique that Milton Erickson used a lot called the pattern interrupt. You see, our prospects and all human beings, indeed all humans, think, feel, act, believe from fixed patterns. And when you break those patterns, it becomes very suggestible. I first learned this when I was a young man trying to get a date, and I began to apply my own stuff. I would hear over and over, I have a boyfriend. And suddenly the light went on in my mind. I said, let's come up with a pattern. So spontaneous, I said, Debbie, you don't need to convince me someone else finds you attractive. That's not how I'll make up my mind about you. And that's an incredible pattern interrupt because it's flipping the script and making it about them trying to convince me to be interested and attracted to them. So that worked about 30% of the time. They laughed so hard. They said, okay, and they would give me a shot. So pattern interrupts work really well. One of my favorite examples is something called the counterexample. So oftentimes we'll hear from prospects, a huge smoke screen. I need more time to think it over. I don't care what field of sales you're in. We hear the smoke screen or injection. I need more time to think it over. Now, traditionally we'll hear, well, what would you need to think over? If you had more time, what is it that you'd be thinking? That's a really good one that I just came up with on the spot. But here's a counterexample. So role play with me. Just, just say, I need more time to think it over. Paul, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what you've got, but uh, I really need more time to think it over. Jeff, I understand. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Be my have, you ever, have you ever taken a long time to think something over and it still turned out to be a horrible decision? As a matter of maybe, fact, yeah. Maybe it's not about time but about the clarity you need to recognize you can feel safe moving forward today. So thinking about it like that, what do we need to get out on the table for you to feel that clarity to move ahead? Now, all of a sudden, you can't even remember the objection. I've wiped it out of your mind. I've, in effect, given you objection amnesia. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, and it's, it goes with my belief that I, I think it over is a crock of crap. 
uh, here, here's my thoughts on it. So when, when, when you get to the end of a sales process and you've asked people to choose to do business with you and they say they need to think it over, I personally think that, uh, first of all, they're not going to put it on their calendar, schedule some time to think over Jeff's uh, opportunity. That's, and what do I want. That, that's for sure not going to happen. And I also believe this, that if we've spent some time together, whether it's, you know, 30 minutes or days and days uh, or months and years, you know, working on a sales process and we get to the end, once I leave your office or get off the Zoom call or the phone call, are you going to have more information at that point on which to base a good decision? No. Yeah. yeah. You've got the person right in front of you right now who can answer all your questions. Plus, the other thing is, you're, one of the things you really want to think over is, do you trust Jeff to deliver what he says he can? And if you don't know that by that point, then you're not going to figure that out once I'm gone. And finally, yeah. the, other thing is, the other thing is, can I afford, do I have the amount of money that Jeff's asking for? And do I feel it's worth it? And again, if you're talking to a decision maker, they know that right then and there. There's really nothing to think over. And to me, think it over really means, hey, Jeff, you're a nice guy, but I'm not going to do business with you. But I don't want to say no, because I know you're going to argue with me and I'm not looking to have a, a fight here. I think it's bullshit. Or they may simply not want to hurt your feelings. Exactly. And that's what I say to them, Paul. I say, you know, tip it. Here's what I say. Look, uh, you can take as much time as you need to think it over. That's fine by me. But here's what I suggest we do. Tell me what you need to think over. I'll answer any questions that you have. And I'll give you as much time as you need. If you say you need a day, I'll give you a day. If you need a week, if you tell me you need a month. I won't contact you for a month. But, Paul, here's what I found in 48 years of selling. When someone like you says they need to think it over, it typically means one of two things. One, it means that I did not give you enough information to make an intelligent decision. And if that's the case, I take that on myself. Tell me what you need to know. I'll answer your question and then leave your office and we'll figure out when to talk next. That's about the 3% probability though, Paul. The 97% probability is you've actually decided you don't want to do business with me, but you don't want to hurt my feelings. And I want you to know this, if that's the case, you will not be hurting my feelings. In fact, I'd appreciate it if you would tell me right now, because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to say it was great meeting you and let you know if you ever want to change your mind and do business with me, I'd welcome that call. And then I'm going to leave skid marks in their driveway getting out of there because I got no time to waste. So uh, I, I think we're talking something similar. Yeah, mine is uh, I'm lazier. <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want a break state and I can see how they can be combined. I can see how they combine. But what were your other questions? I'm so sorry. I, I haven't. Uh, well, we were talking about crushing objections. There was something else you talked about, the neutral state. Yes. What's yes. that? Uh, not to confuse with the neutral zone for those of you who are trekkers. <laughs> that's for we trekkers. That's the zone in space between the Romulans and the Klingons and the Federation. So too often we are told to get into a peak state when we go to sell. This is the Tony Robbins school. Now, I don't want to put down Tony. He's in front of an audience of 50,000 people. He has to be in a peak state. I get it. That works for Tony and Matt. But if we pump ourselves up into a peak state of enthusiasm, yes, I'm ready to go. And we come at our prospects rather than meeting them where they are, we're going to fry their circuits completely. So I say it's more important to be neutral. Which And here's the key. You're interested in the sale, but you're invested in your skills. Champions are interested and prepared to win the sale, but they're invested in their skills. In a breakfast of bacon and eggs, the pig is invested, the chicken is interested. The 
I'm not saying you should be a barnyard animal, but you get the you get the analogy. And neutral is also really useful if you get knocked back on your pins, to use a metaphor. If you really get a harsh, shocking no or or have a really bad setback, rather than immediately going from being very, very set to being positive, it's too big a shift. Get the car into neutral. It's like you're going 100 miles an hour and suddenly jamming the car into reverse and then going 100 miles an hour again. You need to get the car into neutral. Too often, positivity is overemphasized. I'm not saying you shouldn't be positive, but there's a time and place for it. There's a time and place to also go, mother, ah! and then get to neutral before you ram forward into positive. So that's what I meant by that. I think positivity, and again, I'm so contrarian here. I'm saying sometimes rapport isn't necessary. I'm saying don't make the message clear. I'm saying sometimes being positive is not a good thing. I'm very contrarian. If you're going to be a student or a client or a customer of mine, you have to be prepared to think in a completely different way. Because this is off-the-wall kind of stuff. I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but I'd venture to guess most of the people in the audience have not heard it like this or this much emphasized. So uh, are you a fan of uh, the technique that uh, uh, called mirroring? You know, your, your prospects? No, uh... no, this is an NLP technique that has some usefulness. Like, So if the client does this, I don't know, the camera, I don't normally use the laptop camera. I use this thing. But StreamYard, I'm having a little difficulty. I normally do Zoom, so it's good. But if the client crosses their arms, you cross their arms. If they do this, you do this. It's clunky and it's detectable, I think. Now okay. you can mirror you can mirror certain things that are harder to to catch that are effective. You can mirror the cadence of their voice. If you're down south, you don't want to talk like a New Yorker. I don't mean the accent, I mean the speed. I'm a my parents were New Yorkers. I have a New York East Coast vibe. I think, I don't know if you think that or not, but I get that a lot of you from the East Coast, which I consider you. So we can match the cadence of someone's voice. We can match their volume. If they're loud, we can be loud. If they're softer, we want to be softer. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I, I, I completely agree. You know, if they cross their legs, you cross their legs. I find it manipulative. And I think it's obvious. Anybody with half a brain is going to go. I manipulative as long as it's effective and it's honest. You can honestly manipulate someone. Tell me a little bit more about that. Because just the uh, word manipulate ha it. has a negative I connotation. Just I just did it. I manipulated you to be curious and want to hear my answer. <laughs> you did it well. I did it well. But for me, manipulation is not about misrepresenting facts. I mean, manipulation certainly just moves... To move means to move with deliberateness, to move with skill. Look at the dictionary definition. One of them is to, yes, is to mislead. But another definition of manipulation, it comes from the Latin word uh, manu, for hand. It's when we use our thumb and our forefinger, our four, excuse me, it's early, I have that in my copy. My thumb and my forefinger were manipulating an object I am manipulating this pen by using my opposable thumb. The thumb and the forefinger work in opposition to and yet in cooperation with to move the pen or whatever tool I, I need to use. Without manipulation, 
we wouldn't be the dominant the dominant species on the planet. We would be the lo- lower on the food chain because we've got the opposable thumbs. Yes. So I don't mean misleading. I think you can ethically and honestly manipulate. Now that again is like, what the frack are you talking about? In fact, if you don't manipulate your client, you're not serving them because they will default to the decisions of fear. Like I don't have enough or I don't deserve this or I'm too confused. So now I'm really probably pissing off some of your, some of your viewers. <laughs> I'm still stuck on that you knew Frack, clearly a science fiction fan like me. Well, that's Battlestar Galactica, the new version of it. Which was excellent. I loved it. It was great. Really, really good. Um, but, you may have covered it. But Babylon 5, best science fiction show ever to hit TV. I'm not sure that I watched that one. Maybe, maybe I have something to do this weekend. Um, other than get sushi and use my opposable thumbs for that. Uh, what is... a how can we make use of commands and suggestions? Well, you do it very subtly. So if I wanted you to be focused on what I say, again, I wouldn't say, Jeff, in a moment, I'm going to give you suggestions that allow you to become utterly focused on what it is I have to say. You will not be distracted by that outside noise. Nothing will disturb you. All that will matter is the sound of my voice, one, two, three. You would tell me to go take a hike or throw something in my face. But if I said, you know, Jeff, as we're joining together in this discussion, I'm not sure all the places you may stop and find yourself growing more and more excited and focused on what it is we're sharing together today. But as that's taking place, I feel so honored to be your guide in this exploration of what could take place together as we put our heads together and come up with something really amazing. Now, I've just dropped all sorts of suggestions into that piece of pattern. And you can, it's not specific. I didn't say, you know, Jeff, I think you're going to become really interested in the fact that my product delivers 15% woozits at a reduced cost of 40% of whatever. I'm non-specific. So one of the best ways to deliver suggestions is to surround it with a lot of vague language. So the unconscious mind has to become very alert very porous and absorb the suggestions that you're going to drop in. This is something that's really not in the toolkit and not even in the conceptual zone of most of the people who do selling. So it's going to seem foreign at first, but one of the overt suggestions I will give you is it's the very ways of thinking, feeling, responding, acting that stands so far outside of what you're used to doing to hold the potential of bringing you results that are so far outside of what you're used to enjoying. So get excited when you get a little pissed off, a little confused, a little uh, angry about what overwhelmed about what it is I'm presenting today. It's only a sign that this is going to work for you. Maybe already is. So are, are those what you call subtle setup phrases? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I call them false professions of ignorance or subtle, subtle setup phrases, weasel phrases. I'm not sure if you were to, I don't know. If someone says, well, why should I hire you as my listing agent? Just, I work with a lot of realtors. I work with all sorts of salespeople. I would say, well, Mr. Smith, I can't be the, the one to say all the reasons you might find yourself doing that. 
But I only want that to happen in ways where you can recognize that feels good and right for you. Can we have that agreement? Now, that's so vague, but once again, I don't know all the ways you might find yourself. I don't know, allows them to relax and say, oh, this, this Paul, he's not a know-it-all. Okay, I, I'm going to listen to what it is he, have to, he has to say. I don't know, I'm not sure, I can't tell. And once again, this is counterintuitive. We're told to be authorities, to present with confidence that we always know what's going on. There's a, there is a time in the sale to be a little confusing, a little unclear, nonspecific. And there's a time to be specific and clear. Knowing when to go back and forth between the two is a superpower. So... Okay, so we've got subtle setup phrases. There's another phrase that you use that, that uh, and by the way, uh, guys, get the book. It, it, you know, some of these concepts sound like they might be confusing, but Paul explains them in the book incredibly clearly. It, 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 you, you do a really great job of making what could be uh, confusing or difficult concepts very, very clear. And another phrase and that you fun. use. I will sorry? give my credit and fun because uh, I am an ex-comedy writer, right? Not a good one, but in the book, I sort of, Flash some good comedy writing skills. I give myself that. Perfect. Um, so you also use the term transphrases. And I was fascinated by that one because to me, when I saw transphrases, I started thinking, that sounds like something you'd see in a Las Vegas sh uh, you know, show. So yeah. what are transphrases and how do those apply to sales? All right. So find yourself, discover yourself. Mr. Smith, as we sit here today talking and listening one to the other, I'm not sure in which ways you might find yourself growing more and more excited about what it is we're sharing. What does it mean to find yourself doing something, Jeff? Did you ever just find yourself reaching for the refrigerator handle or of the door? Or did you ever just find yourself with your head already in the refrigerator and not even consciously knowing what you were looking for? Yes, way too often. Way too often. Did you ever just find yourself falling in love? Uh, almost every day, but yes. And did you ever think you did you ever find yourself falling out of love and thinking, what the frack was I thinking? Why didn't I listen to my friends? Oh yes, uh, <laughs> every single one of them who told me before I got married, you're making a big mistake. Uh, I've, de I've definitely been in that one. All right, so it's a natural human process to find ourselves, to discover ourselves doing something. It implies that it's not conscious it's not going to happen consciously it's not going to happen with every, any conscious effort and therefore it can't be resisted so that's an example of the trance phrase the trance phrase is you're not you're going to go into trance listen to and obey me become very focused believe what i say and trust yourself to make a decision right prior to signing the check now we're not talking about that now, I do hypnotic healing work. I'm also a hypnotist traditionally, and, and I would be more direct in that sense if, if I were inducing a formal trance, but this is not that. But it has the same effect. So, so what is it about us that when we, we find ourselves, for example, let's use falling in love. We find ourselves falling in love, and all our friends are saying, are you insane? You're out of your mind. And we know it. it you know, deep in our gut, we know they're right. Why is it that we keep making bad decisions? I don't care why. I'm only interested in the how, the structure of making a bad decision. Why is a is a chase your tail question. I'm sure you've seen it. Recall to your mind 
a dog chasing its tail. It will never catch it. Right. Why just focuses on the focuses us on the problem? I only want to understand how it works, the structure of how it works. What is the structure of a bad decision? And that's something that's what's the structure of a good decision. What are we leaving out? What are we deleting? What are we distorting? What are we overgeneralizing? In NLP, we talk deletion, distortion, and generalization. How are we using those things in a way that are not useful for us? This is very a, a technical discussion, and I, I really would, you're the host, but these kind of over-technical discussions, I prefer to steer away from. If you want to take the dive, I'll follow your lead. No, no, uh, let, let's move on to something else. There's a relationship between agreement frames and linkage phrases. And again, guys, these are in the book. Uh, what are these and how do we use them? Sure. So I love agreement phrases. They allow us to reframe the meaning of what's going on. So if someone says, I need more time to think it over, I could use an agreement phrase. I could say, I agree making a great decision today is really important. And, that's be, and that means that the more we just relax and talk about what's really on your mind, the more that can take place in a way that feels good, right, and natural. So thinking about it like that, what is it that we really need to discuss? You hear it? So when someone says, I need more time to think it over, I say, I agree that making a great decision today is really important. So I'm reframing it from being kind to wanting to make a great decision. Do you understand? It's a way of reframing sure. meaning, taking the meaning of uh, what they're putting on the table that's not useful for the sale and redefining it to a meaning that is useful to serve the sale. And isn't that a pattern interrupt? Doesn't that get them to go, what? Another form, yes, it's another form of a pattern interrupt, yes. Brilliant. Um, I guess we can end on this one because I found this uh, 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 good. Um, you say that the prospect's first response is almost never set in stone and right. almost always subject to change. Doesn't no mean no? If it truly is no. Oftentimes, no is to cry for help to make a better decision. At least that's the, well, let's, whoa, 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 let's back up and talk about context. In the context of, of dating or get, trying to get intimate, no means no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it. So everything has to be discussed in context. In the context of a sale, oftentimes a no is not really a hard no. It really means I'm not sure or can you help me see it in a different light. Does that make sense? And if it really does, my frame when it comes to sales is it's always on. And even if it's not on, the worst that can happen is they slam the door in my face and so what? Yeah, uh, so I was actually lobbing you a softball there because I also, <clears throat> I, I think there's a difference between the no that really does mean no. And I think when a no is really a no, the best thing a salesperson can do is really enjoy spending time with you. If you ever change your mind, let me know and then get out. So go to find somebody who may say yes. But quite often the no is, to me is, I just need some more information to help me make a positive decision. And I can't, I don't know how to express that to you. So instead, I'm just going to say no. And that's the sale uh, that is worth pursuing. I agree. Um, 
I told you I was going to end on that one, but I've got one, one more for you since you're an expert in hypnosis and NLP and a master sales trainer. How about prospecting? People struggle with prospecting. Uh, my belief is I don't care how good you are at sales, unless you're speaking with enough prospects, you can't close enough business. So uh, how can we use these, these uh, strategies and techniques in prospecting? And are you finding anything today that's working well or better than others in terms of getting our lazy rear ends in front of more uh, potential buyers. I don't like the idea of, I'd like to reframe the idea of potential. Yes, they're potential buyers. I get it. I get it. But they're also people who were extending the opportunity. How many people can I extend opportunities today in a way where the more I do it, the more devoted I feel to doing it? How can I extend, what are the ways where I can enjoy extending more opportunities to people to make the decisions that better their lives? Now we're putting ourselves in a position of service when we do the prospecting. People say selling is about service. Why wait for the selling starts? Let's be of service as we do the prospecting. What if you could view prospecting as being in service to people in a joyful way? How can I joyfully extend opportunities to people today to make good decisions? Put in that ad, that advert. Yeah. So, but for for most of us, it becomes more challenging and more challenging to keep that kind of mindset when we're being rejected constantly. I mean, we talked about I cold rejection. I never, I never get rejected. I only discover people who are not ready to receive my gift. So it's really same with uh, dating. It's the same with dating. I never get rejected. I only discover women who don't have good taste. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I don't think it can get any better than that one. So I'm going to end here. Paul, any, uh, first of all, uh, any final words? And then I'd also like you to share with us, how can people reach you if they're interested in doing business with you? Sure. I'm going to gonna hold up your book one more time for those who have been asking. It's Subtle Words That Sell by Paul Ross. How to get, get, your on, get on Amazon, please. I request that after you've enjoyed the book, leave a good rating because the book deserves it. It's earned it. Uh, the other way to get in touch with me is I, I'm just going to do two things. Here's my email address. It's Paul. It's Speaker Paul Ross. If you're interested in working with me, caveat, I only work with people who are already really, really successful. Like you're already at the top of your game. You've been through every sales training there is out there, or most of them. You find that they're starting to get really repetitive, and you want to reach for the very top, uh, exceed your own personal best, and you don't want something you can get off the shelf. If you're unconventional, reach out to me. Email me, paul at speakerpaulross.com, and I'm going to do something really, really unconventional. Do not call. I don't pick up calls I don't recognize. No, I'm not going to do that because I'll get flooded with the few people who are really offended by me. So just write me, paul at speakerpaulross.com, paul at speakerpaulross.com, subject, apply. And I do respond to everybody. But again, I only work with people who are doing high six figures and they're already really successful. And finally, they're unconventional or they're willing to take on an unconventional way of thinking and acting to, to make exponential changes in how they sell. Not incremental, but exponential. So when you say high six figures, you're talking about somebody who's already making five hundred, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. 
Yeah, yeah. Because I'm the most expensive. I'm the most expensive trainer you'll ever be glad you hired. And for those of us who are not making that kind of money, Paul's book is a heck of a lot cheaper, and uh, you can get it on Amazon or yeah. Paul at speakerpaulross.com. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I do have a couple of courses on my website, speakerpaulross.com. Got okay. it. Well, I need to grab you. coffee, and I'm up early. <laughs> Brother, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I'll leave you as I always do, gang. Uh, please remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Thanks again, Paul. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks, Jeff.